0: KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you, and we're going to be together for the next two hours. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always a pleasure to be here on Sunday afternoons. I have a PhD in clinical psychology, but I am obsessed with the science of human mating and also uh, obsessed with sort of what social pressures or even biological pressures make us human, make us behave the way we do. I'm just fascinated. I, I swear, like from the youngest age, you know, when a two-year-old or three-year-old, whenever you put to, down a rule, they go, why? But why? But why? Well, why never stopped for me? And anytime anything goes on, I'm like, why is that? So let me tell you what we have coming up in the show. First of all, I want to talk a little bit. Of, there's some news that if that uh, I want to comment on, the Harvey Weinstein arrest, Uh, the new Irish appeal on the abortion ban and how these two stories are somewhat connected. Then a biology segment on sperm. Calm down, people. The biology of semen. It does so much to a woman's body. Not the obvious. Other stuff. And then let's do a couple segments on our regular drive-by makeshift dream analysis because I love to hear your dreams. So starting at about 4.30... Um, Give me a call at 430. I'll announce the number. And if you've had a dream recently or you have a recurring dream and you can tell it in a short and sweet way, let me uh, weigh in on it. I love dreams. Then later in the second hour, I want to talk about nutritional psychiatry. And I've got a, a registered dietitian who will be joining us to talk about things like the diabetes crisis and also what we can be doing to improve our moods nutritionally without drugs. Then i got some news for couples coming up, and if you're single, new research on what to wear on a first date. Okay, let us begin with Harvey Weinstein. Um, the Me Too movement, as you know, probably started last uh, May uh, in April, on April 1st of 2017, was when the New York Times featured an article on sexual harassment at Fo- of Fox News, where I happened to be the only woman they could dig up who had not complained when she'd been sexually harassed and had not filed any kind of complaint and, and as a result hadn't been forced to sign a non-disclosure agreement so I sort of became the face of that story and then within you know a few weeks or months uh broke the story of Harvey Weinstein and I don't even think I need to tell you about Harvey Weinstein because he's become this worldwide face of what sexual harassment is He has now been arrested in New York on rape charges, apparently because of evidence presented in two specific cases. We don't know what this evidence is yet. So I am waiting to weigh in until I find out um, more news of what this case is. Um, He is free on bail. He posted a million dollars bail. He is wearing a tracking device. He has surrendered his passport to a judge and agreed not to travel outside New York and Connecticut. Um, How soon will this begin to be a trial? Mm, Hard to say. It'll be probably at least a year. He will appear in criminal court next in Manhattan on July 30th, because then he's going to find out if a grand jury who's sifting through the evidence now has actually indicted him. Uh, Will there be more Evidence, will there be more charges? Probably because they're sifting through a lot of evidence of alleged sexual assault allegations, but also possible financial crimes relating to his money being used to silence people. Um, he may have violated federal stalking laws in his dealings with some women who have accused him of sexual assault. Uh, inquiries are underway in Los Angeles, New York. And London Uh, so that's Harvey Weinstein and how in any way is it connected to the earth-shattering news that the people of Ireland have voted to repeal a long-held ban on abortion well they're both symptoms of women becoming free from the shackles of patriarchy I will say that it was a landslide vote in Ireland. And interesting enough, the Catholic Church is a largely Catholic country. The Catholic Church stayed out of the campaigning because the Catholic Church has a really bad reputation, not only for forcing women into 18 years of servitude by not giving them abortions, but also being these, my fingers are making quotation marks, kind caretakers of young girls and putting them into laundry houses where they did slave labor if they happened to get pregnant. Um, my own mother... I found out 20 years after her death, who was very Catholic, had a teenage pregnancy, couldn't tell a soul because it was considered such a sin. You know, the woman is blamed for the sex, even though the man participated in it. Mm -hmm. And so she had to, as a teenager, take a train a thousand miles to go visit her older sister and stay for six months uh, and have that baby and have it in a probably... A cold brightly lit operating room among strangers and not have anyone around to help her deal with postpartum depression recovery she had to pretend like nothing happened the good news is I did find that brother and he's alive and well and I love my new brother Mike and um, we're all so happy to be all together and I wish she could have been alive to see it so the Catholic Church swooped in and helped her give that baby up for adoption but again, were, there weren't rules about you know, how to have contact and, and how to have relationships with babies that you've lost back then. So why do I think Harvey Weinstein being arrested for rape and the Irish appeal on the abortion ban are connected? Because they are all parts of patriarchy. And patriarchy at its heart is really a bid to control women's reproduction, I'm also an evolutionary psychologist, and I really believe that we live in ancient DNA, and much of our behavior is related to old biological ways of being. We are one of the few species on the planet that has concealed fertility, meaning that once a man deposits his seed, he doesn't know if he's impregnated her or not. He doesn't know if that pregnancy will turn into a child. He doesn't know what kind of mother she will be to his child. He's left hanging dry. Sorry, but that's just biologically the way it is. So as a result, as we evolved and socialized over the years, men, because they are stronger muscularly, developed a social system where they learned to control women so they could figure out who was carrying their genes. They could figure out what was happening with their genes. I mean, I say this in a way that understands men and how patriarchy grew up, right? So sexual harassment is designed to control who a woman has sex with. Obviously, rape and sexual assault controls who a woman has sex with. Um, her access to birth control, her access to abortion, is all about controlling women's reproduction. But I think we've come to a place where intellectually we're evolving and men and women can have more open discussions about this and women can have more freedom to make decisions You know, early feminists here in America in the 1920s were arrested and jailed for simply having meetings, like book groups, where they would tell women about the rhythm method long before birth control. I mean, amazing, right? Anyway, so we're seeing social change happen at a clip. Uh, You may agree or not agree with this social change. It may be uncomfortable to you. Uh, But uh, I feel that anything that frees up human beings to be who they are is ultimately a good thing. All right, when we come back, there's new biological research showing how semen changes women. And I don't mean the obvious way. There are some things that semen does inside a woman's body besides impregnate her. It's true. Joey's dying here. He's got his hand over his mouth, like, oh my God, I can't believe she just said that. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh show on KFI AM 640. Leah Perel has the news. Yes, we're talking about semen, not the kind in the Navy. Hi, it's Dr. Wendy Walsh. Welcome back to KFI AM 640. So I'm cruising through my Facebook like I like to do when I'm in bed sometimes in the morning with my cup of coffee, seeing all the pictures of peoples and their kids. And then I see someone has posted this study saying that male DNA has been found in women's brains. And the researchers are trying to find out how this male DNA could have gotten into women's brains. And um, they said that the most common way that they believe is that the woman had a prior pregnancy with a male fetus. So some of the DNA is still left in their body, right? But there were other, let me go back to this article so I make sure I get this right. Uh, a woman could have had an abortion she didn't know about, right? One-third of pregnancies don't make it to fruition or termination, not necessarily an abortion, a termination a pregnancy that didn't make it. Um, You could have had a male twin that vanished. That happens. You know, one doesn't survive and the other just, you know, absorbs it and your body absorbs the tissue. Um, But also, 63% of women in the study had male DNA cells residing in the recesses of their brain. And it is suggested that it came from sexual intercourse. Yes, when live sperm go into your body, they can burrow around and get to all kinds of places, including your brain. So what does this mean, actually? Who cares? This is microscopic. Does it matter? Well, this study, by the way, was done by the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, and uh, it's a published, peer-reviewed study. And they have found that what they're looking at is the risk of cancer and autoimmune disease. And what they found is that the influence of this It's actually called, let me see if I can say it right, Joey, do you remember? Microchimerism. Uh, How'd I do? Perfect. (laughs) The association between male microchimerism and the female brain and relative health versus disease. And so what they found is that with conditions like breast cancer, having these kinds of cells actually give you some protection against breast cancer. Woo-hoo-hoo. In others, like colon cancer, they're associated with increased risk. Uh, they've also uh, linked studies to lower risk of rheumatoid arthritis to women who have given birth at least once as compared to women who have not. So basically, they're going to do more research on this, but don't be surprised. Well, there's there's been insect studies, actually. The National Center for Biotech looked at 70 different kinds of insect species, and they found that... <laughs> Females who received larger doses of these male DNA in the form of sperm actually had more fertility, obviously, uh, but some of them had shorter lifespans. Oh, I don't want to continue reading. No, no, no. We want it to be all good news. (laughs) Um, You know, there have been other studies looking at what happens to a woman's body because of sperm. There's actually been a 2012 study on depression and anxiety. And they found that women, and I just want to stop right here and say one thing. Please practice safe sex. Use a condom every time. However, if you are with a partner who has been tested, and you have been tested, and you've had this sticky conversation about, uh, you know, being true to each other, then, uh, then by all means, take in the health benefits of sperm, ladies. <laughs> it can help fight depression and anxiety. When semen is absorbed through the vaginal walls, it shows less depressive symptoms in women in a controlled study. That's a big one. It also can aid in sleep. Surprise, surprise. It makes us sleepy. Some uh, uh, evolutionary psychologists think it's because if it makes a woman sleepy, it keeps her laying down longer, not getting up and running around, and the sperm can swim easier because they're not going against gravity, so it helps with fertility. Uh, It can also trigger ovulation. The more you have sperm swimming around in there, having fun, Uh, Okay, but here's the most interesting study that I found. There is a relationship between mate guarding and ejaculate quality. Hold on there. So, men who practice more mate guarding, what is mate guarding? Where you going? Who you with? Let me just look into her Facebook. Let's see what's going on in her cell phone. Why are you dressed up like that just to go to work? Mate guarding. We know what mate guarding is. We call it jealousy. But it's weird when it's too much. And some women perceive it as care. But I'm like, that can be weird. But men who practice less mate guarding, hey, have fun at your book group. Go to Vegas with the girls, honey. I'm fine here. I'm going to play some ball, watch a little sports on TV. I'm good. Have fun, honey. Those men, actually, we found that men who perform fewer mate guarding behaviors produce higher quality sperm, having a higher concentration of sperm and a higher percentage. Of mobile sperm that swim faster and less erratically and are known as sperm competitors yes they get in the vagina and they kill off the other man's sperm I'm not joking there are fighter sperms there are fighter sperm okay I know I'm being weird it's all this info it's interesting to me that on a micro level all right when we come back have you had an interesting dream lately if so, please call me. I'm going to give you some drive by makeshift dream analysis because I love dreams. Call 800 520 1534. That's 800 520 1 KFI. Call me. Tell me your dreams. This is Dr. Wendy Walsh on KFI AM 640. Larry perel has got the news. Good dream. If I am 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. When I was in pri- private practice, and you should know, I am an unlicensed clinician. I have a Ph.D. in clinical psychology. I teach. I'm a professor at California State University, but I don't practice anymore. So this is drive-by makeshift therapy. This ain't real. Um, but I love dream analysis, and I had a pretty good uh, ear For the unconscious processes. Freud called dreams the royal road to the unconscious. It is pre-conscious material that your conscious may not be ready for, (laughs) and you may not be ready for, but if you have a dream, give me a call, 1-800-520-1-KFI. Let's start with Carissa. Hi, Carissa, it's Dr. Wendy. Dr. Wendy? Hi. Hi,
1: it's Trisha.
2: Oh,
0: sorry, Trisha, tell me about your dream.
1: Okay, well, I just want to first tell you that my husband, myself, and my daughter— We all think you are absolutely drop dead gorgeous and so intelligent. Blow our minds! (laughs) I mean, we—I made my daughter start to listen to you when she went on TFI because she has her father is a absent father. Well, and the closest we could get was you.
0: It's good. So it's good that, that it's good that she'll listen because my own kids won't listen to me anymore.
1: <laughs> they already have. Me, that's why. That's right. But, well, well, thank here's you. my dream. My, uh, my husband now. We've been married one year, mm-hmm. and I'm in North Carolina. I'm a displaced Yankee. Okay. Um, I've been in North Carolina, and I married a man here mm-hmm. one year ago after being divorced for five years,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and I had a dream that my ex-husband of 23 years, I'm 51 years old, Mm -hmm. attacked me, Mm -hmm.
3: even
1: though I saw, I know it's hard to understand, but I saw my current husband's face Mm -hmm. and body as I was being attacked, Mm -hmm. even though I was screaming my ex-husband's name, John, John, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Okay. And... I can't get through
0: it. All right, so let and me ask pos- you some questions first of all about your 23 years of being married to this okay. man. How would you, in okay. one word, how would you describe this relationship? One word. Um, volatile? Volatile. Okay. so here's what I'm thinking is that, and this is really, really common stuff. So what your brain did is it mixed the two men together because you still have a little post-trauma from the volatile relationship that you had for 23 years. And there is a piece of you that may not trust your choice, may not trust, is this relationship safe or not? And it's just sending you the message that, you know, you're still dealing with conflict from before, even though you were divorced for five years. Does that ring true? Well, I was told that I should, I should heal myself for one year
1: for every five years that I was married, mm. and that's why I held off because my current husband is a very sweet man. He's very gentle.
0: Mm, it sounds like he, you made a good choice this time.
1: He's a very good man, but
0: every time that
1: we had a little spat, and I don't know what it was, but then suddenly ugly head roars up and it was that the dream was the bad one
2: hmm. where
1: i actually called my current husband john and i had never called him anything my current husband's name is Flip. and i had never called him john i had never made that mistake because when i was
0: done with yeah john, but, I was but done. what he represents when he's john is he represents that fear in you of volatility anger danger and that's a very real fear and you're still recovering from the trauma of it I'll bet so my suggestion is to when you go to bed at night ask your dreams to provide you more material start writing down your dreams every morning and if you are still working through some of the stuff from your past it will be a gift to your current marriage if you go to therapy and you talk to somebody about your feelings Thank you so much for calling. I wish I could spend hours with you. I'm sorry radio is so quick, Trisha, but thank you for calling, and thank you for the nice things you said to me. All right. It's not always, it's not always happy and pretty. Uh, Hugh, it's Dr. Wendy.
3: Hi, Dr. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, um, you're welcome. I was, I was telling the screener that I had this dream, and I'm normally pretty good about figuring out what they mean, but I was underwater, about 30 feet underwater, below the ice.
0: Oh, that's scary. I wasn't drowning. Okay, not drowning. Yeah, I
3: wasn't afraid, though. I wasn't comfortable. I wasn't cold. And there was this other guy there who was meditating for like this, I don't know what, I mean, I sort of vague, but there's a hole in the ice up above, and this big statue of a Buddha comes down sinking. Mm-hmm.
0: And, I'm, and I'm trying to
3: get out of the way. I remember feeling like a panic of like, I don't want to get hit by this thing that's coming down. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, this other guy says, it's the, I mean, it's very strange, you know. It says the Nazis are doing it, and so all of a sudden, all these Buddhist statues start coming down through the hole in the ice there 's like a gold one there 's some marble ones, stone ones, and they hit the other guy and he goes down mm. underneath all these statues to the bottom and i 'm there sort of you know a little bit back through the hole you know where where these things are coming through, watching this all happen and i I woke up and i you know i got going with the kids and was busy and couldn't really think about
0: it, but it was so a strange dream. It's a fantastic dream. Okay, Hugh, let's start from the beginning. What comes up for you when you think of the Buddha or statues of the Buddha? Any memories? Any?
3: You know, peace, uh, enlightenment, something. I'm not a Buddhist. You know, I, I meditate, you know, I appreciate it. You know, I've read a little bit about it, but um, I, I think it's a good thing.
0: Okay. And this other guy underwater said the Nazis are doing it. Did I hear you correctly?
3: Which is very strange. I don't know what the hell. I mean, excuse me, so I don't know what that means.
0: Okay, so um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just go on a leap here. First of all, I love any metaphor that our unconscious gives us that has to do with being submerged underwater, and particularly under ice, because I think it. Now, I again, I don't usually say, well, if you dream about a hairbrush, it means this. If you dream about a snake, it means that. But you know, I I love Carl Jung's. Um, archetypes and and his iconography and he often would say that when you dream about being submerged it's the unconscious feelings trying to bubble up and the fact that there's this hole and up above where there's the light now I fully believe the other guy down there with you is you okay he's the meditating you you just told me you like to meditate so there's another part of you sitting down there right and you see I had a feeling it was something of right and you're seeing this Version of peace and enlightenment coming down. And meditating guy, the guy who's closer to your unconscious processes, right, says the Nazis are doing it. And he, in fact, gets bombarded and killed by it. So I would venture to say that what this dream is doing for you is dealing with the conflict you have about becoming more. Peaceful and enlightened and your meditative world. And there's some fear, because what do we use in our culture, the metaphor of the Nazi, we say, you know, people used to call me a breastfeeding Nazi, right? (laughs) Anything that seems to be oppressive and negative and controlling, we use that term, that lexicon in our culture, right? So I think there's both a fear that if you were to, to, to adopt any kind of religion like Buddhism and seek peace and enlightenment, that somehow you would be being controlled and a part of you would die under it and it would be less freeing. And I could go on all day. I want you to keep track of your dreams, but we have to go to a break. I'm so sorry, Hugh. That's a good one, though. I liked it. All right, if you have a dream, we're going to do another segment of my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. Give me a call at 1-800-520-1KFI, 1-800-520-1534. This is KFI AM 640. Larry Perel has the news. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Please feel, please, please, that's like please. Feel free to follow me online. All my social is Dr. just D-R, Wendy Walsh. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everything. Uh, all right, I'm doing my drive-by makeshift dream analysis. I want to remind everybody this is by no means therapy. And if any feelings come up, that are uncomfortable you will go out and seek a professional licensed therapist um, but it's kind of fun too Jennifer it's dr. Wendy
4: hi dr. Wendy
0: how are, how you? are you good
4: you got a dream for me I do I do um, I am uh, graduating um, coming up here soon and um, congratulations a, thank you um, I had a dream that I was um, up on the stage graduating and um, I looked down and I was naked. Oh dear. Uh, in front of uh, all of my professors and peers. And then um, the dream shifted, as dreams do, to um, a classroom. I'm graduating uh, to, be, to try to become a teacher. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I was teaching a class and I was again uh, naked in front of the class. And the, the class, the trade I'm going into is very non traditional. So it would be, um, you know, all men in the class. And um, I woke up just feeling humiliated and mm. horrified.
0: Mm. And
4: um, it was really scary.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so I'm trying to figure out what it means. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. So, what kind of training are you going into where you will be treating only men or, or teaching only men?
4: Um, it's, it's welding.
0: Oh, welding. Okay. Um, wow. There, I could just, there's so many layers here. Uh, all right. So the biggest emotion that you got from this dream is humiliation and feeling ashamed and you are graduating very soon. Yes. Is there actually a ceremony? Will you be up on a stage? Yes. Yes. And so are you a little, have you ever been nervous about being in front of people before?
4: I, you know, I have actually, and um, I love teaching so much that it's
0: something I'm trying to overcome. Mm-hmm. But um, it's definitely a
4: real fear.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think that th- that there are two things going on in this dream. One is this is just a metaphor playing out a very real fear you have. Okay, when do we feel most vulnerable and potential for humiliation? It occurs when we're naked, right? And now here you are naked up on a stage in front of your professors and peers. So I think it's partly a little anxiety about this graduation and partly the moving forward anxiety, the what next. And so the dream itself moves forward. And now you're teaching in a class. And again, you are naked and feel humiliated and ashamed. And you're teaching in a, you know, traditionally male job to male Students, imagine what could go wrong there, Jennifer. (laughs) What (laughs) What kind of feelings could any woman have in a situation like that? And so, I would advise you to respect those feelings and know that, you know, this is this is what happens to women who break down the boundaries and break open that glass ceiling. Is it's terrifying, absolutely terrifying, and you're dealing with gender dynamics. You're dealing with Uh, potential students who might be mistrustful of you and your knowledge, and it can be nerve-wracking. And I think that's what this dream is, your nerves about it all. Well, thank you. That sounds about right. Yes, thank you for calling, Jennifer. Nice to meet you. Okay, Chris. Hi, Chris. It's Dr. Wendy. Hello. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I had this funny
1: dream, and I was at sort of a makeshift class reunion, uh-huh. People I haven't seen in years and years. Mm-hmm. And my, my old best friend, since we've been four years old, came stumbling out of the bathroom and mm-hmm. her dress was tucked into her pantyhose. <laughs> and who even wears pantyhose? And I was like, You have to come here. I need to fix that. And so I was kind of, she was sort of leaning on me and I was helping her fix her dress.
0: Uh huh. And anything else happened in the stream? Um, not really. Not that I can remember. There were just random people I haven't seen in years and years. Okay. So, Chris, what else is going on in your life right now? Any change happening? Oh, yeah. Two adult sons have moved home. Oh, oh, dear. I thought you were going to say have left home. You got the other end of the deal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, they're okay. rebuilding. <laughs> okay, so they're back in your life, just like these old friends are back in your life, in your dream, oh. right? And it is kind of a makeshift class reunion that these boys are back, right? You thought oh you're, you had graduated from this school, yeah. and here they are back in again. And what's yeah. interesting is you're going to tuck in – uh, you're going to untuck your friend's dress in her pantyhose. Now, remember, your friend in the dream represents a piece of you, right? An old okay. piece of you that's still okay. alive and well. And you need to fix this. You need to figure out how to solve this situation. Because, uh-huh. you know, you you can dig deep down into whatever you had in the past, but you know that it's sort of a different time right now. And, yeah. and uh, so I think this dream is... Really about you trying to figure out who you are, not as a mother, but as kind of an old friend who's looking at these two boys going, okay, how do we have a new and different kind of relationship? And how do we fix this? Because that's what came up a few times when you described it. How do we fix it? And as you said... Who even wears pantyhose anymore? Who even has men living in their house anymore? Then I do my yeah. mother job, right? right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think you're trying to figure out how to negotiate this new relationship with these young men yeah. where you're not the mother and uh, you're figuring it out. But, Chris, thank you. That was a very interesting dream. I liked it. Thank you so much for calling. So um, we're going to have to wrap up because we don't have... I would like to spend hours and hours and hours doing DREAM. But another area that I'm hugely interested in right now is this area of nutritional psychiatry and how foods can affect our moods. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to have a registered dietitian on uh, who will talk about that as well as the diabetes crisis. So stay with us, please. You're listening to the KFI AM 640 with Dr. Wendy Walsh.
3: F.I.A.M. 640,
0: you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. Uh, You know what? I'm sure you've heard this story before. A couple years ago, I had an emergency room visit. Massive chest pains, freaking out. And it turns out I did not have a heart attack. I had a big old gallstone heading to my intestine on its way to my pancreas to kill me. And so I had to have emergency gall gallbladder surgery. But I'm a detective, so I wanted to know why, 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 why. And I ended up in the office of a primary care physician saying why, why, why. And um they said, well, the gallstones are made of cholesterol. I'm like, well, that's impossible. I've eaten a low fat diet my whole life. So they send me to a cardiologist who does like pages and pages of blood work, who sends me to a registered dietitian, and all of a sudden I'm sitting in the office of this woman who tells me everything I ever thought about nutrition was wrong and that it is sugar that causes heart disease. Sugar is cancer's favorite food. Sugar is in everything we eat pretty much. And every grain we eat, yes, that includes whole grains, eventually turns into sugar in our body, which becomes plaque on our arteries and can cause inflammation in the brain. So I went on the crazy no sugar, no grain diet, uh, you know, 20 pounds just flipping fell off me. I didn't have weight to lose, but it went anyway. But what I was unprepared for is how good my brain felt. I could remember things. Don't test me. <laughs> I could remember things. So I'd like to welcome to the show, the woman who changed my life, and she may not even know it, Susan Dopart. Hi, Susan. Are you with me? I am with you. Thank you, Wendy. What a, what a lovely introduction! And you are known as the doctor's dietitian because you mostly work with physicians for their hard to treat clients, right? Exactly. You know, I call myself the end of the line. Okay, so I want to have you with me for a couple segments here, and we're going to go through a lot of things. And I'm just I have no interview planned because I just have a million questions for you. So when sure. people come to me. And I try to tell everybody, because I'm an evolutionary psychologist, that back in our hunter-gatherer days, we walked and walked and walked and walked and grazed and grazed and grazed. And when we did get to the dinner table where there was protein, we were probably the last animal to the table. So mostly we sucked on the skin and the fat and the bone marrow. And so we were very much nuts and high fat and vegetables. Is this diet for everybody?
2: Well, I mean, you have to look at how your metabolism is. Um, You know, there's people that are insulin sensitive, meaning, you know, they can kind of eat most of what they want and their pancreas secretes just the right amount of insulin and their metabolism works like a champ. But research is showing more and more of us are becoming insulin resistant, meaning when we eat a big bowl of pasta, you know, there's a bit of a delay in getting in, so our pancreas oversecretes insulin, which again causes um, not only weight gain, but can um, cause heart disease, cancer, infl- inflammatory issues, things like that. Um, so, and you know, we're not we're not designed to move around. You know, we don't wash our cars anymore, and um, We're not nearly as active as we used to be. We don't, like you said, have to hunt for our food anymore. And in Los Angeles, most of us are just in our cars.
0: Oh, I know. Uh, Sitting is the new
2: smoking, isn't it? Exactly. Sitting is the new smoking. And so, you know, you may go to the gym and work, you know, work out like a gym rat for an hour. But if you're sitting the rest of the day, your insulin receptors are just going to go to sleep. And research shows that um, it's actually better to move around throughout the day than to work out hard in the morning and sit the rest of the day.
0: Exactly. We were like slow, constant. Our hunter-gatherer ancestors walked about 12 miles a day. They were just walking and walking and walking. And here we are sitting. And it does help release insulin. So uh, your friend, our common friend, Dr. Sandra Fallon, the cardiologist Mm -hmm. who specializes in women's heart health, says that the only people who should not be on the low-carb diet would be people who are severely underweight to begin with, in her opinion. Yes,
2: underweight and very insulin-sensitive. And very insulin-sensitive. And, insulin you sensitive. know, they exercise a lot, you know. so But, you know, we also have people that we call tofies, and this is actually a medical term, thin on the outside, fat on the inside.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So there's a lot of people walking around who think, oh, I'm thin, I can eat whatever I want, and it turns out they may have a lot of fat on the inside. Um, and can be pre-diabetic or have heart disease and not even know it
0: now our food industry is set up completely backwards low-fat high sugar everything it seems the snack world era yes and it has created a diabetes crisis tell me more about that well
2: it's kind of a, a very long story but years and years ago a researcher named Ansel Keys had done some quote he had some actually done some very good research on starvation And then he did some research on heart disease, and unfortunately, that research was never able to be duplicated nor found. But that's the premise of you know this low-fat, high-carb, low-cholesterol diet from years and years ago. And then we find out you know maybe one or two years ago that the sugar industry paid you know different researchers at institutions to say fat was the issue, not not sugar. And so that. Wasn't true. And so now we know that um, really sugar and carbs are the issue because, you know, if you're consuming more carbs than your body can handle, your pancreas is going to work too hard. The extra glucose is going to go to your liver, like you experienced. And then, you know, you can have more cholesterol, triglycerides, what we call cholesterol particles, which are the things that circulate in your blood and cause plaque. And the food industry has just, you know, made that worse because, you know, carbs are inexpensive, they're easy, you you can pick up a million different processed sugary, starchy carbohydrate foods, but protein and good fats are harder to come by.
0: You know what's one secret, Susan Dopart, that I learned is that once you get yourself off sugar, you actually don't crave it anymore, and if anything... Even you taste sugar in its natural format. Like to me, spinach tastes sweet now. Tomatoes mm-hmm. taste sweet. And
2: well your your tongue,
0: your sweet threshold gets reset to the way it's supposed to be. Yes. Rather than this elevated thing of being more and more and more sweet. Exactly. And even in our hunter gatherer past, when we did eat fruit, do you think any fruit was allowed to get super ripe on the vine? All the animals chipped away at it and ate it. <laughs> so we have this food industry that even ripens fruit more than it needs to uh, and puts well, it's more sugar. modern fruit. Yeah, it, it's modern
2: fruit that's pre-picked and gassed in warehouses. So it ends up being much higher in fructose than the fruit of our ancestors, which was wild um, and seasonal fruit.
0: And let's talk a couple practical things. What can families do? I mean, they're busy and they've been living on processed food and drive-through, etc., What are some quick tips you can give families to help them eat real food that's high in fat, low in carb, and healthy for us?
2: Well, to start with more things that don't have labels, you know, to have more unprocessed things. Shop at the, you know, everyone's heard this, but shop in the periphery of the grocery store. Um, Try to buy more vegetables and fruits in season or things at the farmer's market and, you know, try to make a few. Meals, even if it's just, you know, roasted chicken or um, a salad at night. So you're ending up eating more things that are real than processed.
0: Right. Okay. Can you stay with us, Susan Dopart? Uh, you can find more information about her on SusanDopart.com. We're going to run to a break. When we come back, let's talk about this new area of nutritional psychiatry. Are we going to get off our antidepressants? You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perrell has the news. You have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you, and my guest, Susan Dopart, is a registered dietitian and nutrition and fitness consultant who is known as the doctor's dietitian. You can find her at susandopart.com. All right, Susan, I am noticing how many psychopharmaceuticals people are using, and those numbers keep going up, and therefore, Mm -hmm. I'm really fascinated by this emerging industry of nutritional psychiatry. Is it possible... To treat our mental health with food
2: well it's interesting because our gut has an incredible ecosystem um it has actually uh more more cells than we have in our whole body and so the gut the healthy gut is important not only in digestion and metabolism and immunity but it actually makes 90 percent of our serotonin you know aka the happy hormone mm-hmm. uh, that's what's produced in our gut so if our gut isn't happy, you know and the gut is referred to as the second brain, then there's going to be a compromise with how much serotonin our body can make. so when you're just always treating it with medications, you're treating the symptom, not the cause, right So how do we get our we call it the gut microbiome? you know when that's healthy and imbalanced, we're much more likely to be happy, energetic, have a strong metabolism. You know, and if it's out of balance, we'll have chronic ill health, you know, insulin resistance, weight gain, diabetes, depression, you know, autoimmune diseases. So I think we have to think about it in a little more thoughtful way of how do we get our gut happy so it makes enough serotonin and we don't always have to think about defaulting to medications.
0: And how do we make our gut healthy and happy? Well, that's a very complicated
2: (laughs) uh, question, but part of that is, you know, eating a healthful diet of whole real foods, eliminating processed foods and sugar or foods we're sensitive to, and really having more plants. Um, You know, a lot of people say a plant-based diet, but it's not really about a plant-based diet. It's just eating enough plants that um, have nutrients in it that feed our gut so that our gut can um do what it's supposed to do, you know, and um part of that is getting rid of so many artificial sweeteners which are not advantageous to our gut and which go to the thing you talked about a few minutes ago where, you know, they um create a system where you want more and more sweet, but they deliver almost a one two punch. They alter the gut microbiome and they also increase insulin resistance.
0: Yeah so, I, I find that even diet drinks suddenly throw me out of ketosis and start me craving sugar again. It's amazing yeah. how that works. Well, there's so many thousands of times sweeter than sugar. So people think they're free, but they're not free to your gut or your
2: metabolism.
0: So what about buying probiotics? The ones I buy the ones at Whole Foods in the fridge that say billions and billions of strains. Mm-hmm. Are they good? Are they real? Well, I think buying a if, if you're gut is compromised getting on a
2: probiotic which has at least 50 billion bacteria is a good idea the research is a little unclear whether how how long you have to maintain taking the Mm probiotic but if you have gut issues it's always good to to be on a probiotic unless you have something called SIBO which is a whole nother thing that uh, we could do a whole show on but (laughs) um, I think in general um, taking a good probiotic is good, but also including something in your diet called prebiotics. And prebiotics are things uh, in your diet that feed the probiotics that, that what? help your oh, body. what do
0: probiotics eat? What do what do I need to be feeding those bugs? Yeah, prebiotics are, are things that have non digestible
2: natural fibers like uh, Jerusalem artichokes, which are also called sunchokes asparagus, onion, leeks, radishes, jicama, um, because the human gut can't break them down. Um, once they reach the the colon, which is the large part of your intestines, um, they become the nutrient source for those beneficial bacteria.
0: Oh, well, I eat all of those vegetables, so that's good. And before we go, I just want to say the other issue with mental health is inflammation in the brain, isn't it? I mean, just if we reduce inflammation overall, we're going to feel better in our head. Well, you know, that new book that came out about
2: a year ago, The End of Alzheimer's by Dale Bresden, um, you know, which is a great book for people who have the ApoE4 gene, which is the Alzheimer's gene. He basically says carbs and sugars are evil for the brain.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and I believe feed it. inflammation. I believe so. It. You, know, it, it's, it, you know, he talks about how there's no drug for Alzheimer's. Because, you know, it's like you have 36 holes in the roof of your, your brain. But if you start to really take out the sugars and starches and carbs, in addition to, you know, quite a few other things to outline, it can be a great start for, you know, helping with mental clarity like you talked about earlier.
0: Susan, I'm so sorry that we have to run to a break. But thank you so much for being with me. If people would like to find you or one of your many books... Uh, Go to SusanDopart.com. Do you want to say the name of your most recent book so we get it on the air?
2: Sure, 101 Ways to
0: Control Your Diabetes. Oh, yes. We all need those. But it's really 101 Ways to Control Inflammation. Right. So thank you, Wendy, for having me on. Uh, I so appreciate it. Always a pleasure spreading the good news around. Thank you, Susan Dopart. When we come back, are you part of a couple and you're wondering when you're not in the mood if you should still have sex? I've got some research on what the answer is. This is the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perrell has the news. KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you, and they gave me a contest. I'm so excited. It's the final day of Pixar weekend on KFI, and it's your chance to celebrate friendship and beyond with a visit to the first ever Pixar Fest at Disneyland. Enjoy the return of the Pixar Play Parade featuring friends from up. Toy Story, Finding Nemo, and more. This is your chance right now to win a Disney Family 4 pack to Pixar Fest. Be the first call to call be the first call to, to call right now. It's weirdly grammatically worded here. To it, just pick up the phone and call. And you can win a four-pack of tickets for you, your friends, or your family. Call one 800 520 one kfi That's one 800 520 1534 You can win. A Disney family four-pack. Disneyland attractions and entertainment, subject to change without notice. 800-520-1534. Joey, go pick up the phone. Let's have a winner, shall we? All righty. So, it's one of the biggest conundrums with couples. One person has a high desire for physical intimacy, and the other has a low desire. It may be a regular thing in that they may be mismatched slightly in this area, It may be from time to time. It may be related to other things going on, like fatigue, small kids, housework. Yes, we get tired. I mean, the men get tired, right, from all that hard work. Um, And so when I was in graduate school, I remember I was in a human sexuality class, and I actually, the professor said that no two people should have sex unless both people wanted. And I raised my hand, and I said, I was just a grad student. But dear Abby says that just because you're not hungry doesn't mean you shouldn't sit down at the table and eat a meal with somebody, keep them company. And she said, dear Abby should be shot. Terrible. She didn't really mean it literally, but... And I'm like, what? So my whole life, I've been trying to find the answer to this questions. And what we know is this, that sexual relationships contribute of course, to our overall relationship satisfaction. And if somebody doesn't want to have sex for a long period of time, the relationship can suffer. And when a lack of sex is much more than a just sporadic occurrence, like it happens for months or years, we know it can be troubling for both partners. And we know that sexless relationships eventually tend to end up in divorce. Now, I want to just do it, put that aside and say you know, there are some relationships that have lasted so many years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, where their lust and passion has grown into very sustaining companionate love. And that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about couples who are young and healthy and may want to keep that connection. So in one study by Cindy Meston and David Buss, they found that there are 237 unique reasons why men and women reported that they wanted to have sex. And some of the reasons might be things like, I wanted to show affection to the person. I wanted to express my love to the person. Or, I was afraid to say no. Or, I didn't want them to get all upset. So, I guess what it depends is what the reason is that you choose to have sex when you don't have desire to have sex. Now, let me be clear. I am talking about consensual sex, not forced sex on somebody. Consensual sex may involve low desire in that your body's not really geared up for it, but your brain says, I want to do this. So obviously, if you choose to have sex for reasons like wanting to feel closer to your partner, um, that can be a positive thing. But if you want to have sex when it doesn't feel like you have a choice then or you're just trying to avoid negative consequences that could happen, that's not a good reason. Now, there's another researcher who studied this a lot, Amy Muse and colleagues, and she categorized reasons for having sex into two reasons. One are approach goals and the other are avoidance goals. So approach goals mean uh, wanting to get something positive. From the experience, wanting to get closer to your partner. Avoidance goals refer to having sex with a partner to avoid negative feeling. Like, uh, oh, my partner will get upset if I don't. Um, and these authors found that when partners engaged in sex for approach reasons, to grow the love, they were more sexually satisfied and more relationally satisfied than those couples who did it because, oh, I have to, oh, all right right? Uh, Here's a little interesting aside. In both the previous two studies that I just talked about, both men and women reported engaging in sexual activity for reasons other than sexual desire. So this whole idea that you think it's about women that always have the headache and that we're always too tired actually doesn't play out in in terms of research. And finally, another interesting study was a qualitative study of 63 young adults, key words there, young adults, So these are people in uh, monogamous relationships, married or cohabitating, 63 couples. And all they asked them to do is, um, it was a sexual compliance test, is um, they asked them how often they willingly engaged in sexual activity without feeling desire. Remember, this is entirely separate from forced intercourse or non-consensual intercourse. We are not talking about rape or sexual assault. We are simply talking about choosing to willingly engage in sexual activity without feeling a high desire. And um, they found that it was kind of rare for both couple, both partners, to feel sexual desire at the same time. It was actually really rare. So my sexuality professor was wrong. It is really rare for both people to be up and ready at the same time, unless you're on like your fourth date with somebody, right? And <laughs> lust is high. Um, so as a result People engage in sexual activity with their partners because they want to get closer to their partner. They want to make their partner happy. And they do it without feeling sexual desire itself. And according to the study, drumroll says, over a three week period, just under half of the participants in the study, both men and women, reported an experience of sexual compliance. Again, in a committed relationship where they love the person and they have willingly chosen to enter into a sexual relationship even though they weren't particularly turned on. And we know that the biggest benefit of this is that it opens up the possibility for more sexual encounters. Because what happens, and I have heard men say this in therapy all the time to their wives, if you could just have sex, then you'll be interested in it, and you'll be interested in having more. And actually, ladies and gentlemen, that is a fact, is that it opens up the body to possibilities and ideas and increases desire. Um And it also can be mutually pleasurable for both partners. So, again, remember it's about the reasons. If you're doing it because, oh, she's going to be mad at me if I don't, or, oh, all right, it's not a reason. If you do it because you love your partner and you'd like to sit down at the table and have a nice meal with them, then I think go for it. All right, when we come back, are you single? Have you wondered what to wear on a first date? Well, now there's research to tell you what colors work. You're listening to the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Larry Perel's got the news. Oh, help me, please, doctor.
1: I'm damaged.
0: KFI AM 640, you have Dr. Wendy Walsh with you. We are into the home stretch here on the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show. Please feel free to keep in touch with me. Follow me online, whether it is Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, The handle is dr. Wendy Walsh, W E N D Y W A L S H. And a few people have sent me messages saying that they're trying to find Susan Dopart.com and couldn't get the spelling right. So it's Susan, S U S A N, Dopart, just D as in David, O, P as in Peter, A R T, Susan Dopart.com. And all her books are there. And she practices in West LA and she's a registered dietitian. And uh, okay, enough there. Let's talk about dating, shall we? So if you are single and you are still hoping to do it the old-fashioned way and to run into somebody at the grocery store or Starbucks, I have news for you. Nobody meets the old-fashioned way anymore. They meet online. Now, I also believe people make a mistake and get into these long-winded texting private messages filled with fantasy relationships digitally that are silly. There are people that literally meet by text, have phone sex or sometimes real world sex and then break up by text. and That's not a relationship, folks. Um, although it's a short-term relationship and maybe there's some people that want that. Um, having said that, you do want to get online and then you want to think about how you present yourself and what you should wear in those pictures. Well, there was research out a while back from OK OKCupid. OKCupid is one of those dating sites where they do a lot of research because they're all about analytics, right? And one of them was that if you wear red, you are more likely to be clicked on if you're a woman because red signals sexual interest. And so there is this idea, does this mean that you should wear red to a date? And uh, so uh, I, I will say this, though, red doesn't work for men because men, uh, red tends to signal aggression in men. And when women see men wearing bright colors, they, I mean, think of it. If you're seeing a guy wearing a red tuxedo, you think he's strange and weird, right? Women just like men in black, right? Just simple, dark colors. Navy blue, black. We like that. Um, so, But they do see that women are more appealing to men and get clicked on more often when they wear red rather than blue, green, or yellow. So uh, last year, a team of scientists from Germany played a sneaky trick on a group of female research volunteers what they did is they emailed each woman directions to their lab to come and do some research. They didn't tell them it was about clothing or dating. They didn't tell them it was about what color they were going to show up in. But all they did is attached a photograph of a male research assistant who supposedly would meet them at the lab. For half of the volunteers, the photo that they, left, that they attached was of a very, very attractive man. Aha, uh-huh. in the right age group and everything. For the other half, they sent a picture of a not-so-attractive research assistant. I don't even know if these re- the pictures of the research assistants were real people. It doesn't matter. I mean, w- whether they really were research assistants at the lab. And uh, the volunteers who thought they were meeting the good-looking assistant more often wore red than the volunteers who thought they would be meeting the not-so-attractive assistant. So I guess unconsciously, Women know that red is the siren color. Woman in red, right? Um, There's been other research on that. Uh, You know the show, uh, I think it's a big show in the UK called, um, I think it's just called First Dates, and it aired on British television ever since 2013, and it's where a couple goes on a blind date in a London restaurant that's all full of cameras, and the show is like absolutely excruciating to watch uh, terrifying and sometimes really heartwarming. And so all they did is this group of researchers went back and looked at past shows of, um, hundreds and hundreds of first dates. And what they found is that generally daters today wear black more than any other color because it's just more in fashion. So that's not, not surprising there. Um, but, uh, Let's see, clothing was equal, equally common during interviews and dates, so it's not So, But the same thing happened, is that if women were more attracted to the guy, they tended to wear red, and they wore it more often on the date versus the pre-interview when they were just going on TV. So red is the way to go, ladies, except if you're a dude, do not wear red on a first date, or in your profile picture, actually, because it signifies aggression in women. And if you are not online and you are single... And you're hoping to just wander along the street and meet somebody. You know that person who might be the perfect person for you is at Starbucks. And they're staring at their phone looking for you. (laughs) Literally, people will be in bars and restaurants swiping apps looking for dating partners. So you've got to be online. You've got to be bold and brave and figure out how to do it. Because everybody's there. Everybody's there. All right. Okay. Is that really it? Oh, Joey, I hate it. Two hours goes by just way too fast. Well, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Make sure you follow me online at DR, Dr. Wendy Walsh. uh, And uh, we'll see you on Wednesday during the Gary and Shannon show during the 1 o'clock hour. And every Sunday here from 4 to 6. You've been listening to The Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on KFI AM 640. Mo Kelly is next.